The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. And it's a great honor to call upon our first speaker tonight, Rabbi Echiel Spiro. As we know, he's, he's, he's the author of the Touch by Touch. Uh, um, he's, he's the author. He's a tremendous author. For Art Scroll, he's written so many amazing svarim. And it's a great honor to call upon Rabbi Spiro. We're just about one week away. It's time to start thinking. And yes, of course, there's a lot of different things we can think about. We can think about Mishleach Manas. We can think about Matanas Lev Yoinim. We can think about preparing the meal and who we're going to be eating with. We can think about where we're going to hear the Megillah. But there's one secret about Purim that's important to know. Purim is a time of prayer. Great prayer. In fact, Purim, our rabbis teach us is even holier than Yom Kippur. In fact, Yom Kippurim is Yom Kippurim. The Day of Atonement is a day like Purim. Purim's even greater than Yom Kippur, especially in that regard, even when it comes to prayer. There was a great tzaddik by the name of Reb Becker. Reb passed away a few years ago. And when his family was sitting shiva, they told over the following story. Reb Nechemia was a young man in his 20s, and he had one child. And then his wife got sick shortly after childbirth. And the doctor, who was an expert in this field, his name was Dr. Skulenik, spoke to Reb Nechemia and he said to him, Listen, Rabbi. You know, your wife is in grave danger. We have to do an operation, and unfortunately, she'll never have children again. Reb Nechemia didn't know what to do. And so he went to seek advice from the Chazoyin Ish, who was the most prominent Godel of his era. And he traveled down to Bnei Brak, and he said, Rebbe, can I speak to you? It was right after he had washed his hands before davening Mincha. And he says, well, what's the question? He says, my wife's life is in danger and the doctor wants to operate, but I'm not going to have any more children anymore. And Chazanish says, well, what are you asking me? You told me that her life is in danger. She has to have the operation. But you know what? Let's discuss it at greater length after Mincha. And so he daven Mincha. And after Mincha, he spoke to the Chazanish once more and the Chazanish says, tell me again the question. And he tells the Chazanish the question and the Chazanish says, she should not have the operation. And he says, but you just told me before that she should have the operation. And the Chazanish said to him, that was before Mencha. And the family tells over this story. All nine of them sitting around, sitting shiva for their father. And they said, you see what can happen from one Mencha? eight more children and my mother lived to be in her 90s well that's the power of prayer but there's one more thought that I think is important to share Rabbi Yochanan right before he died began to lament the fact that he was about to face a judge the king of all kings and he said if I was going to face a king of flesh and blood a human king I could bribe him with money, with gifts, pleading on my behalf. But the king of all kings, you can't bribe him. And the Maharsha says on this Gemara that Rabbi Yochanan was saying, in the next world you can't bribe the Almighty. But in this world, Hashem wants you to bribe him with prayer, and with charity. When you pray, you are bribing Hashem to alter and to change the decree, to work towards your benefit. When you give tzedakah, tzedakah tatzil mimaves, it can save one from death. That's the power of prayer. You can even bribe Hashem. What potency, what power we have. And Purim, a day when people are busy with all other types of things. 
is the day when you can focus, when you can pray to Hashem and ask Him for whatever you want. Don't lose out on this very special opportunity. Thank you, Rabbi Spiro, for your tremendous remarks. Our next speaker is Rabbi Mayor Simcha Sperling. Everyone, if anyone missed any of the previous stories to inspire events, then, um, please email us at eventsachazak.org and we will gladly share you the link. Again, that is spelled E-V-E-N-T-S at C-H-A-Z-A-Q dot O-R-G, Our next speaker, his energy and his dedication for Klai Yisrael knows no bounds, Rabbi Meir Simchas Sperling. I would like to welcome everybody to this beautiful event. I'd like to welcome everybody over here. <clears throat> What a schus for us to come together to inspire each other and to get close to Takadish Baruch which is really the point of everything in life. But uh, that's the point of stories. That's the point of stories. That's the point of chizuk. The point of all these different ideas that we do all the time is to get closer to Takadish Baruch get more of a clarity in life, what we're doing here, what our purpose is. And uh, Purim is, I should say, the Megillah, not so much Purim. My Purim also, but the Megillah is something that if you learn the lessons of Purim, if you go through the story with the right Rishonim, Achorinim, and the right guidance, and the right books, and the right Svarim, and the right commentators, and everything, it is unbelievable how many lessons you could learn from the Megillah. It's really unbelievable how many things we're able to learn from it, and how much closer we get to Kodesh Baruch by just tapping into the Megillah and the story of the Megillah. So I just want to talk very, very briefly about the main lesson of Purim, about the Megillah, the main lesson. And then I want to share a story which doesn't really have much to do with it, but has a little bit to do with it. But I just saw the story and I want to share it. It's a famous story. Obviously, I will be changing all the names and all the facts and I'm going to change the entire story. But but, now you're going to the whole story. But but it's a pretty famous story, but I think it's it's, it's eye-opening. So anyways, what's the main lesson of Purim? So if you go through the Megillah, you'll see all of the the Midas Tevis of the people who had good Midas, and you see the Midas Rois of the people who had bad Midas, and you see the Shtuyot about how people cared about things, like like just Lamash Haman caring about the fact that one person doesn't bow to him. One person doesn't bow, everything means nothing to me. There's nothing to eat. I don't want one thing in the fridge, there's nothing to... It's an amazing thing, like Mamash the Shtuyot that goes on, and the... It's unreal. So that's that's first of all the midas tovis, the midas rest, and you see how Esther Mamish followed Mordechai and her emunas chachamim, and how Mordechai wasn't afraid of anything, nothing, not afraid. Hakadosh Baruch Hu emuna bitachon. And I think the ultimate lesson is that Hakadosh Baruch Hu, we see that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is the supreme guide of the world. Hakadosh Baruch Hu is the supreme guide of the world. He runs every single event that occurs in this world in the most intricate and amazing fashion, however hidden his hand hand may be. Sometimes you don't see it. You don't see the story. It looks so painful. It looks so dark. It looks like there's no way we're ever going to... No hope. And then all of a sudden, boom. Yeshua Hashem Keherafayin. In one second, everything changes. One phone call. He runs every event. And yeah, his hand is hidden. Often. But Al-Qopanam, we know that he's the one who runs the story like we see from the Megillah. And therefore what? And therefore our tefillah, and therefore our tshuva, and everything that we do has to be geared towards him. Because he is the supreme guide. He has everything. He has all the answers and everything. And we just have to tap into that. And only by learning his Torah, by fulfilling his mitzvahs, we're going to find favor in his eyes. And, um, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. It's, you know, sometimes we focus on other people and trying to find favor in other people's eyes and doing this and that, when they can't even help you. They can't do anything. It's only like a Baruch that can help you. And therefore, to really appreciate the the lesson of Purim, the lesson of the Megillah, you have to tap in, you have to really think about this. Wait, Baruch really is. If you take a look at the Megillah, there are so many ways to, to realize, to see, to feel that it was just, you know, coincidence. I mean, Akash read this. That's why when Esther wrote it, Mordechai, if you take a look at the, the different uh, people who write about it, I think the Grud talks about it also, that um, they had to write it in a way that Achashverosh saw it as coincidence. Yeah, he's the most powerful man, it's all about him, it's nothing about Hashem. So you see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was hidden, and it could be coincidence, but we know that every single thing that was happening, even years before the Purim story, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was making these plans, and we just have to daven Hashem, to tshuva Hashem, and focus on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the whole lesson, or that's one of the main lessons. So this story that I want to share with you is a story of a family, or I should just say a mother and a son, who really just turned to Hashem, and they try to tap into HaKadosh Baruch Hu to give them the feelings of whatever it is that they needed, and an amazing thing happened. So this is a famous story, so you might know this. 
And even if you do know it, I'm going to change some of the names and some of the stuff, so it might be a little bit new to you. And if you don't know it, it's, uh, it's really a beautiful story. So there was a doctor whose name was Sasha Ilyevich. He was Russian, obviously. Uh, he was a famous Jewish doctor who lived in St. Petersburg, one of the biggest cities in Russia. He was married to a woman whose name was Natasha, and they had a son whose name was Igor. These old Russian, classic Russian names, Geschmack. And they lived a happy lifestyle, very happy. They were, they were Jewish, and um, yeah, they lived their life. He was a doctor, he was successful. She was at home taking care of the child, taking care of Igor. And life, uh, you know, went on, trying to get close to Kaddish Baruch Hu, trying to tap into our mission in this world. Anyways, there was one one of the things about living in Russia back in the, when this, when the story happened is that there was there was always a little bit unless your your amun and bitachon was mamish like to the top, it was a little bit hard because it, 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 you were living a life of, of fear a little bit of fear because they hated the Jews the Russians they hated the Jews and sometimes the Russian police would come they would knock on your door not so gently and they would just take you away for what you did this you said that you sneezed. You go into Siberia for the next 400 years. And they would do this. And this happened, unfortunately, often to Jews. Even though there was no justification for it, nothing, didn't do anything. Didn't do, he wasn't even there. He wasn't even there, they took him away. So there was a little bit of a fear. Anyways, there was one night that um, they were sitting in their house. Uh, this Dr. Sasha, Natasha, and Igor. And uh, there's a very, very loud bang on the door. And the clear, there's certain knocks that you know who it is, you know, and like, oh no, like I had time to say, well, before they knew it, the door was busted open, they came in, they grabbed him, this doctor, and they ripped him out. He did not even have time to say goodbye to his wife and his child. And um, it was a, a terrible ordeal for them to see, for them to witness just being ripped away from their family. They became very, very sad. They had no idea when he was coming back, if he was coming back. And they're very scared. Like now, what? Now, first of all, besides the trauma, how do we live now? He was the one who made the money. We don't. We don't work. Now, Igor was a little kid, and Natasha didn't work. So now, how are they going to make money? And not only that, but there's another. There was another cash, and that was that all their friends were also frightened because if they were seen talking to Natasha or talking to Igor, whatever it was, or helping them, the Russian police might think that, oh, <laughs> we have to arrest them also. They're obviously part of the plan, whatever plan this doctor did or whatever it was. So therefore, we have to arrest them also or their fathers or mothers, whatever the case is. So therefore, everybody stopped talking to this family out of fear. They really wanted to. They really wanted to be friends and be there for them and help them, but they couldn't. They were just too afraid. So they lost all their money. They lost their husband slash father. And they lost all their friends. You need a friend. You need the respect. You need people. Otherwise, yeah, otherwise, right? So they were all alone. Anyways, one and a half years later, um, from when the doctor was taken away, just before Purim, right before Purim, so Igor came and he ran into the kitchen from wherever he was coming and he told his mother, he said, Ma, in Russian, obviously, <laughs> is there is are we doing Mishalach Manas this year? Are we giving Mishalach Manas to anybody? Like I don't really have friends, but it's a mitzvah. We learned that it's a mitzvah, so are we giving anybody Mishalach Manas? Now she was very surprised, the mother, and she was very happy that her son was interested in uh, you know doing the mitzvah Mishalach Manas. But she she knew that the next question, if she said yeah, she's like to who. Yes, we are doing shalat to who? Who are we giving it to? Nobody likes us. Nobody talks to us. We don't know anybody. We've been alone for the past year and a half. So she like hesitated to say whatever. But um, but she didn't want to say no because they wanted to, you know, they wanted to do this. What are they, they going to do? So as she's like sitting there waiting, there's a little twinkle in her eye. Bing. And she's like, yes, we are absolutely going to be giving shalach manas absolute to a very good friend of ours so Igor said to his mother who <laughs> we don't have any friends we're, we're not allowed to have friends everybody stopped talking to me about a year and a half ago so who's our friend that you speak of is there somebody I don't know about somebody comes in after I'm sleeping so she said we're going to send Mashallah Manas to Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to be our friend it sounds very simple right as if like a little child had spoken, like sent Hashem. But the thought was so true. She felt it first. She's like, you know what? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is our friend. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu's hand is hidden. And we don't understand it. But Hashem loves us. So we're going to send Hashem Mishalach Manas. So he ran to the kitchen. 
and he's searching for food. Right? We need two foods. You gotta have a mazenus, a shahakal, a hagaf, and a shahakal. So whatever you have, to have, you have to have two foods. And they're looking around, looking around. And finally, he finds a cookie, probably from like a year before that. And he takes the cookie and he wraps it up in like a nice little wrapping, whatever he had. And he's like, um, "You need two. We don't have two. What are we gonna do? Where are we gonna get another one?" So the mother looked. And, and she said to her son, she said, do you remember how daddy, Tati, used to always tell us that when you serve Hashem, you need to serve Hashem with joy? Remember he used to tell us that? So he said, yes, I do remember. He said, well, we're gonna, she said, well, we're going to make an exception to that rule right now. Normally we do. We serve Hashem with joy. But t- tonight, we're going to serve Hashem with pain and with tears and with sadness. I want you to sit down and I want you to take a cup and I want you to think about your life and I want to think about your father. I want you to think about your father and I'm going to think about Tati, my husband and we are going to think about what happened to us and we're going to start crying and we're going to cry and cry and cry because life is so painful and so hard even though we know that there's a plan here and Hashem has a hidden hand. We know that but it's so painful and therefore we're going to cry and we're allowed to cry. We're allowed to cry and we're going to fill up this cup with tears. We're going to fill up the entire cup with tears and then we're going to wrap up the cup. And that's going to be the second item that we're going to give to Hashem. The cookie and a cup of tears. And they sat down and they started crying and they started thinking about what they went through. They sat on the floor. Their father, their husband, how lives, their lives have become so sad and the tears started to flow and not before long, Rabbi say, pretty quickly the cup was filled with tears and the mother took the cup and she placed it next to the cookie and she slowly and carefully started to wrap her Mashalach Manas and she said, I'm sure Hashem's going to love this gift I'm sure One, literally one second later there was a knock at the door another hard knock at the door and they were like they were like in a zone of like crying and you know thinking about what happened to them. Now usually when it knocks, when when the when the door knocks, when somebody knocks on the door, it's usually something that's dangerous or a sakana. But she didn't know what to do, so she went over to the door. She's like trying to look, she couldn't see. She slowly opens the door, and who's there? Her husband's there. Her heart stopped. She started crying again, and she couldn't move from her place. And then Igor, the son, looked at the mother and said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent back Mishalach Manas. As we were giving him Mishalach Manas, he gave us, you know, you go to a house, you give them, like, wait, wait, they get theirs, they give yours. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the same time that we gave his. The ultimate Mishalach Manas. And by now, everyone was crying, and everyone, but the tears now changed. They changed to the tears of joy. Even to us Hashem B'Simcha. And he looked at his father, this little son who missed him for a year and a half, and he hugged him and he held out him so tight, he didn't want to let go. And finally he looked up to HaKadosh Baruch and he said, Hashem, this is the best Mishalach Manas ever. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what the plan is. We don't know the plan, but we know that you are the supreme guide. Why do you have to be taken away for a year and a half? I don't know. But there's a plan. Why do you have to go through what you go through? I don't know. Why do I have to go through it? I, I don't know. But what we do know is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us. And what we do know is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is watching every move, everything that happens in the whole world, both for us personally, individually, communally, every, everyone. Hashem sees everything. And the main thing is Hashem loves us. That's the main thing. So whatever He's doing to us, whatever the story is, the hidden hand, He's doing it for our best. And sometimes it's very hard to hear and it's very hard to see. And sometimes, boom, with a snap of the finger, there's a knock on the door, and the issue is right there. But what happened during that time? Did you grow? Did you connect to him? Did you tap into whatever it was that you were supposed to tap into and be like, this year we're giving Taka the Baruch We're not going to doubt him. We're not going to chas v'shalom, say not nice things about him. We're not going to be like, oh, we're not giving Mishalach Manas to anyone. We're not doing any men. No. We're going to give Mishalach Manas. And, and not only that, we're going to give Mishalach Manas to our friend, to Hashem. Even though you think, like, you went through so much pain, how could you call him a friend? But no, HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us, we love Him, and we have to work. We have to work so hard that no matter what we go through, no matter how challenging it seems, we have to remain strong in our Amun and Bittachon HaKadosh Baruch Hu. 
And who knows, maybe one day you'll get that knock at your door too. Maybe you'll get that email. Maybe you'll get that job. Maybe you'll have that child. Maybe you'll find that shidduch. Maybe you'll win the lottery. If that's a good thing. Maybe. <laughs> and Rabbi said, this is the aside. When Purim comes, you have to realize, like, Baruch Hu, this is, you're everything. You're everywhere and everything. You saved all of us, the whole story. You were behind it in every, and so too you're behind the scenes in my life also. And we tap into this, and we drink to this, and we say thank you, Hashem, for everything you ever did for us, and for always being there to watch us. Yes, it seems hard. And yes, I don't understand it. But I know that you love me, and that's all I need to know. I trust that you know what you're doing. And the Siyat Dishmai, if we could tap into this, we could all be zeche, to really build our bitachon and our amuna and make a Kodesh Baruch Hu proud and get the knock on our door, whatever knock that is, in the right time. Rabbi Sa'afrilchim Purim, and thank you for joining. It's a great honor to call upon tremendous rabbi, all the way from Brooklyn, New York, Rabbi Uri Lati. Welcome, everyone, to another special of Stories to Inspire. This time, it's Stories to Purim. Thank you, of course, Stories to Inspire for always giving us the zechut and the honor to be able to share our Torah. And I know it goes around the world, so me'et mamash hazaku baruch. I'd like to tell you a very short story about Purim, and hopefully we'll come out of a very valuable lesson to take to the holiday of Purim. There was a Yehudi that leased his property, his land, his farm, from a Gentile. The Gentile comes over to him and tells him one day, did you ever see God? And the Yehudi tells him, no one can see God. He has no form, not even an image of a form. What are you talking about? Nobody could see God. And the Gentile tells the Jew, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a very important story, very valuable story. He tells him that he used to lease a farm, one of his properties, to a Yehudi, to a Jew. And next to this farm, there was a body of water. And the agreement that this Gentile, ha- this Gentile had with the Yehudi, with the Jew, was that anything that the farm produces belongs to the Jew, no problem. Just pay him the, the lease at the end of the month, pay him the rent at the end of the month, no problem. However, whatever fish he catches from this body of water, half of, it, half of the fish goes to the landlord, to this Gentile. Now this Gentile is speaking to the Jew and he's telling him, you know what happened one day? This Jew that I leased the property to, he had the body of water next to him, and he caught the fish. He caught one fish only. And it was a huge fish, I hear. But the Jew tried to keep it a secret from me. But I found out and I approached him. I said, hey, don't forget, the agreement says half-half. Why did you keep that fish away from me? Why did you hide it from me? And the Jew tells me, look, you know, the holiday of Purim is coming up, and I need a huge fish to feed my family, I'm inviting guests, we're supposed to have a very lavish meal, we're supposed to have a sa'udah, so therefore I kept it, I hope you're not upset at me, I apologize. And the Gentile tells the Jew, ah, I forgive you, no problem, but deep down, he was very upset. Now this Gentile is telling the Jew, and you know what happened? After a few months, all the landlords and the owners of the different properties and lands got together and different farms got together, and we were all complaining about the same thing. Complaining how the Jews are not fair and not just. This one is saying this, and this one is saying this. And I told them, this is the Gentile speaking to the Jew. And I told them, let me tell you a story that takes the cake. I had a farm, and I had a body of water, and this was my agreement with the Jew. And you know what the Jew did? He caught one fish. And he didn't give me half. And he gave me the excuse of his holiday of Purim. He gave me the excuse of the lavish meal and the se'udah. But I told him I forgave him. I really didn't forgive him. What are we going to do with the Jews? What are we going to do with the Jews? And we all agreed. We all decided and agreed that it's time to expel all the Jews from the country. No more Jews in our land. We drafted something. We were about to sign it. In walks a very tall, very handsome, very... Glorious individual with a white beard and a long coat. And he comes and he says, So what's going on over here? And we told him, Look, we want to get rid of the Jews. We need you to sign the first one. And this person tells us, You want to get rid of the Jews for what? What did they do? Because of the fish? Because of this? This is nonsense. You need their money. This is nonsense. Don't get rid of the Jews. That's what he said and he left. 
and the Gentiles tongue the Jew. And I turned to the person next to me and I said, Wow, who is that person? And the person told me, I have no idea. And he asked the person next to him. And everyone said all together, We have no idea who that person was. And the Gentiles tongue the Jew. But you know what? That person, he saved you from annihilation. He saved you from being kicked out of the land. So you tell me you never saw God, but in that room I saw God. It was that God that saves you, that saved you, that gave you a great miracle. This is the story. Now we know in the Megillah, Megillah Esther, it doesn't say Hashem's name. Yudke Vavke, it doesn't say Hashem's name. We see it sometimes in acronyms, Nashetevot, Sofetevot. We see it. However, however, pardon me, Hashem's name explicitly is not written in the Megillah. Why? Because you don't have to just see Hashem to understand that Hashem is there. To understand that Hashem is taking care of every detail in your life. Hashem is always there, even though He doesn't show you that He's there. But He's always behind the scenes. You know what the Halakha says? If you read the Megillah backwards, you don't fulfill your obligation. You're supposed to read it from the beginning to the end. What's the symbolic meaning of this Halakha? What's the remez of this halakha? So I think the symbolic meaning is don't wait till everything comes all together in your life in the end to realize that Hashem is there. Don't wait till the end of the Megillah and then understand it from backwards to forwards. No, 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 no. You have to see Hashem in every event unfolding in your life. It's very hard, of course, but Hashem is there. Read the Megillah from forwards to backwards. Find out that Hashem and see that Hashem is there even though His name is not written. But find out that He's there. There's no coincidence. We think it was a coincidence Vashti got murdered. A coincidence that Mordechai was sitting by the palace when he heard Biktan Vatej. A coincidence that Esther was chosen from all the people. A coincidence upon a coincidence upon coincidence. We know there's no such thing as a coincidence. Coincidence, we know in Hebrew, is Mikre. Mikre is the letters Rakme Hashem, the words Rakme Hashem. Only from God. Everything happens because God deems it to happen. Don't read the Megillah backwards to forwards. Find God all the way in the end. No, no. Find God when things are happening, unfolding in front of you. So you think you don't see God. You see God. You see Hashem in every single thing that happens in your life. That's the story of Purim. That essentially is the story of our life. May Hashem open our eyes to always see Hashem in every detail in our life. And ultimately, merit, have the zakhut to see Mashiach Satkenu in the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash. We will all come together in great joy and great happiness in dancing with the Mashiach in the Binyan Beit HaMikdash. I thank Stories to Inspire again. Purim Sameach and thank you for watching. Thank you Rabbi Lati for your amazing remarks, really uplifting remarks. Our next speaker is Rabbi Daniel Koren. Rabbi Koren is one of the rabbis of of 18 Forche, of base Medrash Or Chaim. He's a tremendous rabbi. He has daily clips. He's, uh, you check out his all sh- tremendous share on Torah anytime. So I'm going to call upon Rabbi Daniel Koren. Some inspiration for Purim. I want to share with you a story that took place in Morocco, in the city of Meknes. This story is a fascinating halachic shayla, which we will see will not conclude with a halachic psak but the inspiration we certainly can take with us. Listen to the story. The story takes place in Purim. There was a person that we call him Ruven, and he sends a Mishloch Manas with Shimon. As the Mishabur actually says, Chavetzheim, that the Chathila wants to do it with a messenger. Okay. He sends his beautiful Mishloch Manas with Shimon. On the way, Shimon smells the delicious food. Can't hold himself back. His other Marishim back in Gan Eden. It looks too good to be true, and he ends up eating it. Not only that, he drinks the fancy wine, Towards the end of the day, he feels terribly guilty and he runs back to Reuven and he says, I'm so sorry, I never delivered the Mishlach Manis. Reuven hears this, the news, and the following reaction of Reuven takes place. He thinks for a second, looks at the clock and says, you know, I don't have enough time to send another Mishlach Manis. I want to fulfill the obligation retroactively with you. Whatever you ate, it's yours. I give it to you full-heartedly. This question of whether he fulfilled the obligation or not came all the way to a great man by the name of Rabbeinu Malach HaMalach Refoel Birdogo in his Sefer Mishpatim Yisharim and he did not decide That means he didn't come to a full conclusion of whether he has fulfilled the mitzvah or not. Now we could discuss and be mefalpel whether 
Yes, fulfillment of retroactively works or not, but that's not what I want to share with you. What I took from this story is an incredible inspiration. How a person who is focused, Purim, and especially all year, about how he could get closer to Hashem through the mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are there to bring us closer to Hashem. And when a person is so focused on the relationship and the opportunities of mitzvot, he could be in a place where most of us probably, when we would have been and heard such a re such a news from our beloved messenger, we would have given him a beloved message. We would have been really angry. We would have said, how could you? Could you? How could you steal Mishlach Manas on Purim, the greatest day, and cause me not? No. This person, Reuven, was collective and thought to himself, how can I still strengthen my relationship with the mitzvah? That's the inspiration for Purim. Purim is a time where sometimes it could be quite stressful. It could be challenges. And we have a choice. How are we going to react? Are we going to understand that whatever happens is another opportunity to be able to get closer to Shem, maybe in a different way than we planned. And that's going to give us the greatest Purim ever. Have an amazing, beautiful Purim. Hatzach. Thank you, Rabbi Koren. Our next speaker is Rabbi Shlomo Horowitz. As we know, Rabbi Horowitz is the founder of Jewish Crossroads. He's a tremendous speaker. Tremendous. His, his stories, his, his work that is really impacts all segments of the Jewish people. It's a great honor to call upon Rabbi Horowitz. Rav Yitzchak Grossman is the legendary head of the Migdal Art Institutions in Migdal HaEmek in Israel. He tells the story of a boy known as Dano. Allow me to quote Rav Grossman to tell you the story. Dano had a special neshama, we all knew it. The teachers were aware that his family background was difficult and that he was carrying a very tough burden with him. Everybody gave him the warmth and love that he needed during all his school days at Migdal Or. When he reached the age of 13, we made him a beautiful bar mitzvah. I gave him a pair of tefillin and I wished him success. However, his brothers insisted that he return home and study in school close to home. I was very apprehensive about it, but we had no choice, his family insisted. Dano returned home and in a short amount of time, he became somebody living on the edge, somebody connected with tough and dangerous children in that neighborhood, and he deteriorated spiritually and morally. I carried with me all day a heartache that Dano had left the way of the Torah. He, who had already known his creator, Hashem, and had studied with great desire and excellence, left the life-giving wellsprings of Torah for broken cisterns. And then one day, he showed up for a class reunion at the yeshiva. It was on Purim. The celebration was great. Megillat Esther was read for a large crowd, and Mishloach Manot were distributed. There was a wonderful su'uda filled with song and praise to Hashem. The visiting alumni stood up to dance and the atmosphere was very Purim-like and happy. I was standing on the stage with a microphone and suddenly I look out among hundreds and hundreds of students. I said, that's Dano, I noticed Dano. I put the mic down, I ran out to him and I asked him to come on stage with me. Come on, Dano, let's go. At first he refused, but then he took the stage with me in front of the entire lively crowd. I said to him, Dear Dano, our beloved student, tell me, Dear I want you to send me Mishloach Manot. And then I gave him the mic and he said, Well, Kvodarah, well, Rabbi, I certainly owe you a lot of gratitude for everything you've done for me. Of course I'll give you some Mishloach Manot. I'll put something together and give it to you. Great, I said. I don't want you to give me Mishloach Manot, I want you to be the actual Mishloach Manot. And Dano looked at me and said, What? Me? Ani? What, is, what do you mean, Rabbi? What do you mean I should be the Mishloach Manot? 
And I said to him, I mean that you yourself are the Mishloach Manot for me, for Purim. You're supposed to give two different kinds of foods. So, give me your body and soul. Those are the two dishes that you have to give me in honor of Purim. Dano said, Ma? And lo mevin. Dano, I said, in front of everybody, I am asking you to give yourself back to the yeshiva. Come home to us, and that will be my mishloach manot. Do we have a deal? Yesh lano esek or lo? Dano was flabbergasted. This was the last thing he expected on this class reunion for Purim. The entire room grew silent. All eyes were on Dano. Ken yesh lano esek. Yes, Rabbi, we have a deal. And the entire room erupted in cheers. Dano, Dano, Dano. So Dano came home to his family and said to the family, Ani or. I am going back to Migdal Or. And they looked at him in amazement. And they said, what's wrong with you? You finally left those guys. Why are you going back? Because of the rabbi, Dano told them. What do you mean, they said? And Dano told his family, I promised myself as a mishloach manot to Rav Grossman. And the family was very traditional. They were careful about the holidays. They didn't know how to deal with this, but they said, all right, we have no choice. If he's supposed to be the mishloach manot for Rabbi Grossman, whatever that means, then that's what we do. And his mother said, Tov, Lech, fine, go. And he went. And he is still there. Because today, Dano is Harav Daniel. And he is a popular Rebbe in that very school. The light of Torah and Migdal Or shines brightly in Harav Daniel. And each year on Purim, he tells a rapt audience about that Purim that changed his life forever, the year he became Mishloch Manot. Thank you, Rabbi Horowitz. Our next speaker is Rabbi Ephraim Epstein. He came out with a tremendous safer recently called Davening Divine. It will literally uplift your davening for the rest of your life, and you and your family. It's definitely worth it. Read over, you can read a, a short segments over at your Shabbos table. Definitely go to your local Judaica store or get it online. Davening divine, it will uplift your tefillot, your prayers. Rabbi Ephraim Epstein. I am pleased to be able to present this story, and I am honored to have been invited by Chazak, Torah Anytime, and Stories to Inspire, three fabulous, august institutions and wonderful organizations that bring goodness to, and light to a world filled with darkness. Our greatest strength in life comes from good habits. But a great fear of lessening intensity and productivity also comes from habits. If you don't have the habit of getting up early in the morning to daven, then you're not going to daven every day in the morning. But if it becomes too habitual that I get up in the morning that I don't even think about it anymore, then my habit becomes a frustration and it becomes a detractor instead of the positive nature of what a habit could and should be. I think of this as Purim arrives very soon. On one hand, we get all excited. It's Purim. On the other hand, we get to shul or the yeshiva, and we sit down, and there's a little voice inside of many that says, Oh man, they're going to be making loud noises for humming again. Can't we just hear the Megillah? Why is that guy in the corner using a foghorn? Right? What, what is going on over here? Can't we just do the mitzvah and move on with it? I've been fasting all day. It's Tainus Esther. I'd like to have my, my uh, break the fast already. 
So I want to share with you a two-minute story that you can think of this year to open up an inspiration that all of us could gain from, and that is that it was the year Saddam Hussein was throwing bombs. And when he was throwing bombs, I had a Talmud in the yeshiva who told me that his brother was coming from the United States and they wanted to spend Purim in our home in Telstone. Why? Because the parents, responsibly in their own minds, didn't want them to go to Yerushalayim because there was a threat that Saddam Hussein Yomach Shemo was going to go throw bombs in Yerushalayim. So they, the mother said, well, Hussein probably won't throw a bomb on Telstone, so you guys can stay in Telstone for Shabbos, uh, for Purim. So they came to our home for Purim, and both of them were on the beginning of their journey towards Frumkite. But they both came from a traditional home, and they both felt pretty much like they had this holiday under control. They knew about the Megillah. They knew about um, having the Suda. They were excited to celebrate. But, you know, let's, uh, it's time to go to the yeshiva. So we went up to the, the yeshiva on the top of the mountain, the Vetzion at the time, and we walked in, and the place was packed to the gills. And the Megillah started, and you could hear a pin drop appropriately. And you could see the guys were like, wow, this is what a Megillah reading is supposed to be like. You could hear every word. Wonderful. And then first chapter, second chapter, and it was time for the first Haman. Haman hit, and the place exploded. When it exploded, in my mind's eye, I thought, oh, I wonder what these guys are thinking. So I turned to my right to see, you know, if they were, like, taken aback by the thundering uh, Haman. And I couldn't find them. And then I looked down. They were under their desks. They thought Saddam Hussein blew up a bomb, and that's why there was so much noise. They had never, ever experienced a thundering Haman before. It opened their hearts and opened their mind, and they'll never, and I will never forget that Hamanic experience of them hiding under the desks. So this year, when we hear Haman, let's not think with a sense of, oh no, who's the guy with the foghorn? But we should think, let it awaken that arousal inside of us like it did my two guests that we should blot out evil with that big noise in front of us and remember good so that we should see we should see we should see Purim all year long and we should see goodness and greatness darkness turn into light in front of our days Thank you, Rabbi Epstein, for your tremendous remarks. Our next speaker is Rabbi Shlomo Buxbaum, who is the founding director of the Lev Experience, whose energy is really enthralling, and it's a great honor to welcome Rabbi Shlomo Buxbaum. Shalom, shalom, Chazak family. So happy to be here with you, an opportunity to share with you a beautiful story, a meaningful story to me, something that happened in our home a few years ago on Purim. And uh, it's also the story about how I got this beautiful guitar that sits here on my lap in front of you. So each year when we have our Purim Sudan, our home, our Purim meal, our Purim banquet in our home, we like to invite family, friends, neighbors, but also we like to include those who may not be celebrating Purim in their home. You know, people that could use this exposure to what a real simcha, the joyous Purim looks like. So we try to include them in our seuda, in our meal. So a few years ago, we're inviting different people, and uh, there was a, a woman who had been learning with together with my wife and had been coming to our classes and our programs, who was growing so much, so much in her in her Jewish connection and her spirituality. The thing was. Her husband was very much not on board. He 
he, he wasn't connecting. He had there, there, he had strong blockages, things that did not allow him to connect to believe that there's any any value in Judaism at all. So she said, "Listen, I'm happy to come to your uh, meal, but in all likelihood, my husband is probably not going to come along." Anyhow, that's what we assumed. We didn't set for him. Everybody's showing up, and we have families, and and thank God our dining room is 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 packed with people. Beautiful. And she shows up, and something interesting happens. As her husband is dropping her off, he says, you know what, I'll come in and I'll check it out. Okay, so he comes in, surprised, I didn't know him very well, he's tall, he's broad, and to be honest with you, I was, you know, a little bit intimidated by him being there. And he sits down, and I say, you know what, his name is Brett, we're going to drink a little bit, would you like something to drink? He says, no. I'm not going to drink anything. I'm like, okay, it's going to be a long one. Anyhow, we're having our meal and he's sitting there and he's very quiet and he's not participating. And we start going around the table and people start sharing different stories about where they're coming from, some of their history, some of their joyous moments from the year. And we're singing a little bit. And I had a guitar at the time. It was an old guitar. It kind of falling apart, strings flying all over the place. And we start, I pull it out. And we're about to start singing. And as we're about to start singing, a friend of mine, who is also hosting a meal in his home with a bunch of high school students, who I knew well, who I had also taught, and just at that moment, he comes barging in with maybe 25, 30 young high school guys, just as we're starting to sing. And they're coming in, and they're they're hyper, they're excited, and they see me with the guitar, so they want to sing and they want to dance. So we started playing a, a, a hit, something that everybody loves. Thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Thank you, Hashem. And everyone's labor day, and everyone's jumping around and dancing, and I'm watching, and I'm looking over at Brett. And he's just sitting there, taking it in. I, I can't really read, like, is he enjoying it? Is he not? Like, what's going on? What's going on in, in, in his mind? And after it all dies down, the students are there, everybody's sitting, and Brett stands up, and he looks around at the room, and he says, he says, I, I want to share my story. He says, when I was very, very young, my father was in a terrible a criminal, it was an accident that he was the victim of, of criminal activity, and it's not the time now to get into it. But either way, he was terribly injured when this Brett was a young man. And he said, since then, I grew up like that. And since then, I had such anger against the world, against God. I never allowed myself to be open to anything spiritual at all. And in fact, I actually turned to addiction. I turned to alcohol. And throughout my recovery process, they always told me to embrace a higher power, something spiritual. And I was never able to do it. I never allowed myself to do it. So I want to tell you, over the last couple of hours of being here at this Purim, Purim meal, says, I feel so deeply connected to everything that's going on. I won't touch the wine, because I'm, I'm in recovery, but I feel so deeply connected to what's going on. A few days later, at my door, Brett, who, by the way, I forgot to mention earlier, he was actually the manager of a big guitar chain over here in Maryland. He sent this gift to me at my door, together with a note saying, thank you for the most beautiful spiritual experience of my life. And I look forward to keeping in touch. And we've had a beautiful, beautiful relationship ever since. My friends, the Purim Su'uda, the Purim meal has such power. The heavens are open. Purim is a beautiful, beautiful day. However you're going to celebrate your Purim Su'uda, go deep, go deep inside. Because there's tremendous, tremendous power that happens on the entire day of Purim. And specifically at those beautiful moments when your heart is open with joy, celebrating the miracles of Purim. Thank you, Rabbi Bookspam. Our next speaker is Rabbi Yaakov Rahimi. As we know, Rabbi Rahimi is a tremendous speaker, speaking on behalf of Chazak, Torah Anytime, and, and many other tremendous Kirov and Torah organizations. Rabbi Rahimi is the author of the Sefer Mishnibur Tiferet. It's a great article upon Rabbi Rahimi. Thank you, Stories to Inspire. Thank you, Torah Anytime, for arranging this event, the Purim event. I'll share with you a quick story for Fur Shlema, Yaakov Yisrael ben Tamar Malka. The story of Purim teaches us 
that although things seem dark and, and seem endless, an endless dark tunnel, you don't know how you're going to climb out of it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there. And Hashem has a plan for everything to take you out of the situation that you're in. Hashem will give you wings of an eagle to pull you out. That's what the story of Purim teaches us. Hashem's name is not mentioned in the whole Megillah, but everything was HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and Hashem pulled the Jews out of the bad situation that they're in. Now I want to say a quick story that I saw from Ritzach Zerbishtim. There was a person that survived World War II, survived the Holocaust. This person said a tremendous, scary story that happened to him. He was in a village that I don't remember anymore, but it was a certain village in Europe where it was extremely hard to survive and run away from the Germans closing into the village that he was. It wasn't in Germany, it was a certain village he was hiding, but the Germans were closing in. And to get a passport was impossible. You had to be very, very hooked up. You had to be wealthy to pay everything up to bribe and bribe and bribe. For this Jew who said over the story, who survived the war, he said it was very hard, almost impossible for his family. But eventually, after months and months of pushing and running around and bribing, finally they were able to get a certain amount of passports. The passports came to the location that they were hiding. It ends up being there was enough for everybody. I forgot what the number how many people it was. It was enough for everybody except for one person. Meaning there were one passport short. One person had to stay behind. Now this person who said over the story said that he knew he got his passport. He knew that he got that right name, which is his name, and he got the passport. There was another person hiding with them who he wasn't related to. That one passport that was short was that guy. But what ends up being, this guy stole the password from him. This Jew stood over the story. He stole the password from him, and he made believe as if it's his passport. Can you imagine doing the war? You're in the Holocaust, running away from the Germans. The Germans are closing in. Impossible to escape. Almost impossible to get a passport. Finally, you got a passport. Some guy steals your password, and you can't blame him either. Can't judge. And you can't blame the guy who stole the passport. When, it, when it's very, very tough times like that, you can't blame anybody. But that's what happened. He took someone else's passport. This Jew who survived the Holocaust said he didn't know what to do. This guy literally stole his passport. They fought, they fought, they fought, but he gave in. Can you imagine giving in to such a thing like that? He gave in. He knew his passport was stolen, but he gave in. Okay, he stays behind. Sounds simple. Okay, but it's very scary. This person stays behind the set of the story. And all the people that got the passports escaped. They leave the village. What ends up happening, Abutai? What a scary story. And I wish it never happened. But it's an unbelievable Hashem, how Hashem runs the world. But I wish it never happened. I wish everyone will stay alive and be healthy. The Holocaust never happened in the first place. What ends up happening, all the people that had the passports who left this hiding spot, and tried to escape in the country, they were caught by the border by security, and they saw that the passports were fake and not legal. So all the people with the passports who tried escaping got transported, unfortunately, to concentration camps. But the people that didn't have the passports, who stayed behind, then ends up being that they stayed in hiding, and they survived the war in hiding, and they were able to come back to Eretz Yisrael. This Jew that said over the story, he said, at the time, when he saw his passport being taken away from him, he said, the world is dark. I'm dead. I'm dying. It's over. It's endless. And suddenly, it ends up being just the opposite. Hashem took away His passwords for Him to live. All the others were supposed to die, but you were supposed to live. That's the password was taken away from you. Holocaust is a different level of test that we never know, we should never ever go through, we cannot judge anybody, it's a different level of tests. But every single person at a much smaller, 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 smaller deal, smaller level, is going through different yusinot and different tests. Sometimes you think it's endless, sometimes you think something bad is happening to you, but it's really good for you 100%, you just don't see it yet. Trust Akadosh Baruch Hu. He knows what He's doing. Your job, if you're going through a hard time, is to scream at Hashem for help. Your job is to daven how it's going to happen when is it going to happen what are the technical things behind the scenes that's Hashem but your job is to daven to Hashem everything is Hashem but your job is to press the button of tefillah and daven to HaKadosh Baruch Hu HaKadosh Baruch Hu is involved in our lives 24-7 let's utilize the relationship with Hashem and daven to HaKadosh Baruch Hu no matter what we're going through always daven to Hashem to take you out of that salah you in but Hashem is involved in everything in our lives thank you so much for listening thank you Rabbi Rahimi our final speaker tonight is Rabbi Avram Stuhlberger Rabbi Stuhlberger is the Dean of Valley Torah High School 
and 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 his shurim literally inspire Jews Jews throughout the entire world is our great object upon Rabbi Stolberger. What are the themes of Purim? This incredible day Purim is Venapahu. Things just turned around. It looked so bleak. It looked so dark. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know where the issue was going to come from Venapahu. It turned around literally in a moment because HaKadosh Baruch Hu was always there. Yes, it was Venochi Aster, Aster Panai. HaKadosh Baruch Hu hid his face. But when that time came for the Yeshua to come, Venapahu. It turned around immediately. There are turnarounds when it comes to Klai Yisrael, and there are turnarounds when it comes to each and every individual Jew. We have to look at Purim, a, a, a yontif, a special day that has a component of Kimu Vekibla Yehudim. We, we re-accepted the Torah, the Gemara says. We are able to sort of recreate that moment of Nasa Venishma. We had that clarity, that we had that commitment, we had that unity to be able to turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, yes, we re-accept the Torah, we want to re-dedicate ourselves to Torah mitzvahs the way we, we did on Vav Sivan in the year 2448. That opportunity is there for us too in a sense of a napachu. We can turn things around in a matter of a second. There's an incredible story of, it's a, it's a Yom Kippur story, but Yom Kippur and Purim, we know, are related. The Shla HaKadosh quotes that in the Arizal's name, that Yom Kippurim, that Yom Kippur is a day like Purim. So Purim and Yom Kippur are two of the holiest days we have throughout the year. So the potential inherent in Purim is actually greater than Yom Kippur. If Yom Kippur is Yom Kippurim, that means Purim is even greater. So this idea of, of being able to turn around, the incredible story that is said, that many eyewitnesses to this story in the, in the horrors of the concentration camps, and it was Erev Yom Kippur, and, they, and the Blue of Rebbe had his Hasidim, and they were together in the concentration camps, and they were very concerned that it's Erev Yom Kippur, and tomorrow we're going to be given work, and we're going to have to break the laws of Yom Kippur. Can you, can you please go over to this Jewish kapo and maybe ask them that tomorrow you should give us only rabbinic work. It shouldn't be the rice of work that we can keep the laws of, of Yom Kippur. And the Rebbe was reluctant, but he went over to the kapo, and when he went over to him to ask him, he dismissed him uh, out of hand. No, he says, don't bother me. What do you want from me? And he basically said, no. And the Rebbe was very dejected. But sure enough, the very next morning, they showed up for it was Yom Kippur. And the kapo responded to the request. And he gave them only work. This Jew, a lot of these kapos were knowledgeable. They knew the halachas. They knew, they, they knew what, what, what Yom Kippur was about. And he gave them work that did not involve breaking the laws of Yom Kippur. And the Jews were ecstatic. Can you imagine the horrors and the Gehenim of a concentration camp? They were singing whatever they remembered of the, of the davening of Yom Kippur. And they were doing their work and they were so happy that they weren't able, they didn't have to break the, the, the Raisa laws, the Torah laws of Yom Kippur. What happened next was shocked everyone. While they were doing the work, the doors bust open and the Germans, Yemach Shemam V'Zichrom, came in with a fancy, beautiful Vini's table of delicacies. And that head Nazi, Yemach Shemoy, announced, you're eating today, Jews, you're eating today. We have plenty of food for you today. Typically it was 350 calories a day and now they brought out so much food. And they were all shocked. They weren't going to eat at Yom Kippur. How could they eat? And the, this kapo, who yesterday dismissed the Rebbe, this who, who was part of, a, who was a collaborator with the Nazis, you would have said his, his neshama is not worth a, a, a wooden nickel it's not worth. He goes over to this Nazi and he says, no, you don't understand, it's our holiest day, it's Yom Kippur, we're not eating today. What? You're not eating today? You? You collaborator, you copper, what do you mean you're not eating today? Of course you're eating today, and of course they're eating today, because we say so. And he repeated those words. No, but it's Yom Kippur. We're not eating today. The Nazi takes out a gun. He points at the head of this, this Jew. This Jew who was nowhere near any connection to Yiddishkeit in any sense of the word. They collaborated with the Nazis. They pointed a gun to his head. And he said, of course you're eating today. If not, that's going to be the last word you ever say. And he repeated, looking down the barrel of a gun. It is our holiest day. It's Yom Kippur. And we're not eating today. And with that, he died up. Pekidish Hashem was at Nazi Yemach killed him, and shot him on the spot. It's an incredible story. 
What happened between yesterday and today? What was said to this kapo that somehow connected his neshama back to the level where he's ready to be most nefesh and die up? It's an unbelievable, unbelievable level. This venapach who took place within him, and this is the power of the Yiddish neshama. We just have no idea of when that venapach can take place. It could take place any time, at any place, under any conditions, under any circumstances. This is the yontif of Purim. This is the message of Purim. HaKadosh Baruch who runs the world. And he gives us opportunities through our Bechira, through our freedom of choice to see the Emmas, to see the truth. Purim is a day that allows so much opportunity to connect properly to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Kima V'Kibla Yehudim, the mitzvahs that we have today, the listening of the Megillah, to hear and to think about the fact that we are part of a Golos, the Hester Panim, that, we, that, that is apparent, that seems to be there in terms of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's concealment, and we know it, it was, he's not really concealed, he was with us every step of the way. And he's been with us every step of this 2,000-year-old Golos, He's been with us every step of the way as well. As of Yaakov Emden reminds us, great in the miracle of Kriyas Yamsov is the miracle of Jewish survival. Purim represents survival in Golos. Jewish represents, uh, Purim represents the, the Hashkacha Pratis HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that he protects us. That in a moment things can turn around. In a moment a nation can turn around. In a moment a Jew can turn around. President Hashem, if we take each and every one of us this collective responsibility, this individual responsibility, which ultimately is a collective responsibility of turning ourselves around, of coming close to the Kodesh Baruch Hu, of being reconnected to Klai Yisrael, in the way Kimu Vikibla Yehudim Kimu Mashikibla Kfar Bez Hashem, Baruch will see that determination, see that special time of, of, of Purim where we can become so close. Yom Kippurim, okay, it's a day like Purim. So Purim is even greater than Yom Kippur. If we Bez Hashem can take full advantage, then Bez Hashem we can use the spiritual awakening that we just experienced during this special, special Yantav to move into Nisan. The month of Pesach, the month of Gula Bez Hashem, that we should be zochet through our efforts and through our growth and through the Venapachu to the Gula Shleim Behavior Menu. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.